Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello and welcome to the second of a special series of pathology podcasts celebrating the very first National Pathology Week held by the Royal College of Pathologists. I'm Ben Valsler from thenakedscientist.com and in these podcasts I'll bring you some of the highlights of Pathology Week. In this podcast we find out how pathologists play a vital role in disease identification and containment by asking the question, how would you prevent an outbreak of plague in London? Working with the Natural History Museum, the Royal College of Pathologists staged a simulated plague outbreak, collecting reports from pathologists in the field and experts in disease identification. Ultimately, the decision as to how to contain the outbreak was down to the public. The future of London was in their hands. As if the opportunity to control the fate of Londoners wasn't reason enough, the people attending had come for a variety of different reasons. I'm interested in um, pathology and the causes of disease and, um, you know, what kind of diseases um, kind of infect people around the world, what it actually does to the, to the skin and the body and the different membranes. I wanted, at least to some extent, a genuine sort of experience, whereas there are so many jobs out there where you don't, you know... You hear about it and you think, okay, it's pretty simple, do this, do this. But the actual reality of it is completely different. So I was hoping to learn something which I wouldn't have necessarily known before. Um, Just a stimulating, interesting evening. As obviously I'm a senior citizen, the elderly are most susceptible. So if I'm likely to go first, I'd like to know how and why. (laughs) The first we heard of the problem was in a news report. We are here in central London at the site of what may be the origin of the mysterious disease that has so far left several workmen critically ill in hospital and claimed the life of another. Building has disturbed a previously unknown medieval vault, which is the focus of much controversy. Four days ago, workmen unearthed this vault during routine excavation as part of the central London regeneration programme. Those involved are now critically ill in the London Hospital of Infectious Diseases, with one fatality already reported. We are now joined by Amy Stevens, our spokesperson from the Centre of Disease Control at the Health Protection Agency. Amy, can you tell us more about your involvement in this situation? Of course. We've been on site here for, or our personnel have been on site here for two days since the uh, human remains were discovered in the vault. But it was only once we were on site that we became aware of the serious risk of infection. 
And what is the next step you're going to take? We have a large team of scientists here, including uh, disease specialists and pathogen biologists, who are already, as you can see behind us, investigating the site. We are at great pains to emphasise that everything is being done that is possible at this stage to investigate the origin of this infection, what its potential causes, and also, obviously, what the risks are to the local population. And we're working really closely with emergency services and local residents to ensure that all necessary steps are taken. Well, I'm sure I'm not the only one who hopes that you manage to get this disease under control as soon as possible. This is Charlotte Coles reporting from central London. It sounds like a horror story, a killer disease unleashed from an ancient tomb. But the story became somewhat complicated by the presence of a very recent corpse in the tomb. Someone had found the tomb before the workman and recently, but sadly passed away. Could he be the source of the disease? To find out we would need to discover how he himself died. And to this end, we turn to Dr Nikki Cohen, a pathologist who conducted a post-mortem on the corpse. So we have a body in front of us, and looking at him, we can see that he's got some blood around his mouth and his eyes, and he's got blackened toes and fingers, and that blood picture is making me think that maybe he's got a blood clotting disorder. On top of that, he's got some insect bites around his ankles, and he's got a swelling on the side of his neck... I don't know what it is, I'll take a sample of it later. But putting that together with the insect bites and the rats that we know were in the crypt, I'm concerned that he's got an infection and he's died of an infection which would fit with the live bodies from the patients in the hospital. As to what causes this, I think it's difficult and I don't know, but I guess something like mumps is an infection that can give you swollen glands in your neck, although not many people die of the mumps, of course. Um, We know there were rats involved, so leptospirosis virus disease might give us something similar to that, and that can cause blood clotting disorders. But in terms of putting that all together with the lumps in the neck, what I'm most concerned about is Yersinia pestis, which is plague, and we need to do some tests to find out if that's what it is. Dr Cohen went on to observe the bacteria under a microscope and concluded that there was a strong chance this man had died of Yersinia pestis infection, the plague. Pathology fact. As many as 25,000 people work in pathology in England alone. So far, an ancient tomb has been uncovered and found to contain a much more recent corpse, that of a man who was subsequently identified as an archaeologist, Professor Spade, who went missing shortly after returning from a trip to Madagascar. Three of the workmen who found the tomb are now seriously ill. A post-mortem revealed that Professor Spade most likely died of Yersinia pestis infection, commonly known as the plague. To find out more and get a better understanding of the disease, we need to look at the carriers of the disease, the disease vectors, and these are fleas. Luckily, some fleas were found on the body, and so we were able to call on the expertise of the Natural History Museum's Martin Hall, who explained the life cycle of plague. So rats and fleas, on their own, actually not much of a problem, but... When you've introduced the bacterium into the equation, then you've got real problems. And uh, Nikki, the pathologist, has um, already identified that, yes, indeed, we do have this Yersinia pestis involved here. Plague is found naturally in um, rodents in places like um, Southeast Asia, South America, Africa. There are wild rodents that have plague naturally in them, and they actually don't really suffer. They don't die from the disease they're acting as what we call reservoir hosts. They just maintain the disease, and they're spread by fleas. But now and again, 
something happens to break that cycle, uh, there might be a big outbreak of rats, particularly, say, near um, port, city ports where goods are introduced, there's lots of food around for rats, and those rats become infested with the plague, and these domestic rats are much more susceptible to plague, and they can die. When they die, the fleas that were feeding on them don't have anything to feed on, so they go and look for something else to eat, or they may land on you and bite, and uh, then the, the bubonic plague is transmitted to you. So that's uh, when the situation gets much worse, and it can get even more alarming when bubonic plague advances within an individual and can turn into pneumonic plague, and then that can be spread just by um, airborne transmission. The first thing we need to do is to actually identify what these fleas are. And so we're going to have a look at a few and see if we can actually identify them. I've got one down the microscope at the moment. Okay, so um, this is a, a common rat flea, that's for sure. I know it's the, uh, the rat flea because of one of the spines on the back there, the, the shape of it. I also know this is a male because of the um, really large genitalia in the back end of this flea here. So this is a male flea. And what I'm interested in is whether this has actually got plague in it or not. Well, this one has got a very empty uh, mid-gut there, so this one doesn't seem to have plague in it. So let's have a look at some others. So here's another one. This one here actually is a female. Uh, but what's really interesting about this image, this flea, is that, that big black mass in the middle there. That's a mixture of blood and the um, Yersinia pestis there. And those bacteria, they actually block a part of the gut called a proventriculus. The poor old flea there can't defecate anymore, so to allow it room to get more blood in, it has to regurgitate, and that's the real problem because it regurgitates bacteria into the next person it feeds on. So we seem to have infested fleas in the crypt. The evidence suggesting plague is mounting up. The symptoms of the live patients, indications on the corpse, the presence of bacteria carrying fleas. To be certain, we need further positive identification of the bacteria, so we look to its DNA. Well, they look like Yersinia pestis, but it's actually very hard to tell one bacteria from another. So what we're going to do now is run some molecular tests, and we're going to look at a section of DNA using a technique called the polymerase chain reaction. It's got three steps in it. First of all, denaturation, where we physically rip the double strand apart, and we do that by heating the uh, DNA up to uh, about 94 degrees centigrade. Then we do annealing, where we put in primers, which can select out a specific part of the DNA that we want to look at that will tell us whether it's Yersinia or not. And then step three, extension, using an enzyme that's uh, it's quite cunning, really, that this enzyme comes from a bacterium which is found in hot springs, so it can tolerate hot temperatures. We can amplify up the DNA so that with 35 cycles of that heating and cooling, we can come up with 68 billion copies where we started out with just one. So it's a fantastic way of amplifying up the DNA to get the bits that we want to look at. And we're looking for species-specific bits of DNA for testing for Yersinia. The polymerase chain reaction allows us to selectively amplify the specific DNA sequences that are known to be found in Yersinia pestis. And we can see if that DNA is present using a technique called gel electrophoresis. The chopped up DNA is put in a small well inside a plate of gel and an electric current is passed through the plate. 
The current will carry the DNA along with it, and as the smaller pieces will travel faster, the various sized chunks of DNA become spread out across the plate. Because we know exactly how big the target section of plague DNA is, we know exactly where we would expect to see the telltale signs of DNA on the plate. Sure enough, the gel electrophoresis confirmed that the bacterium was Yersinia pestis. We were definitely facing an outbreak of plague. So what would you do to stop an outbreak of plague in London? Here's what they decided. We ought to kill every rat we see. You need to let all of the GPs know in the area so that they can notify the people who are in charge of communicable diseases. We said to chop the rats and then, like, poison them, but then we were saying about the fleas and that we should burn the rats to maybe, like, get rid of the fleas and then we could quarantine anyone that has symptoms. So the main plan is to control the rats and the fleas to stop the spread of plague and quarantine for those who were already infected. But would that be enough? We asked Dr Tim Reggett from the Health Protection Agency. The idea is that you can't control rats and you can't get rid of fleas, but the more you reduce the population, the lower you make the risk. So you can't eliminate them. You try everything you can to reduce the number in a particular area. Quarantine the infected area, that's really important. So you need to know where the new cases are. And this is where this is a really good thing. Tell health professionals. I think that's one of the most important things you've got down here. Because this is a very rare disease. Very few uh, medical people in this country will have seen a case of plague because it doesn't occur in this country. So you've only got the odd case that may come in um, as an imported disease. So most people couldn't recognise it if it was their neighbour. And... So that they need to be told what the symptoms are. So you need an extensive health programme to educate health professionals and to alert the health protection unit about these cases. Then you can find those cases, isolate them. And, and something that you haven't mentioned, actually, is giving antibiotics, because this is a disease which is controlled by antibiotics if you give it within 24 hours after people get symptoms. So finding the people really quickly with the relevant symptoms, giving them early treatment with ciprofloxacin or an antibiotic like that, will make the mortality go down from 60% to less than 5%. So it's really important. And also, those people who've been exposed to cases, if you give them prophylactic antibiotics, by which I mean as soon as they've been exposed to the risk, you then give them antibiotics to prevent them getting the infection. That's really important as well. Although we missed a few points, vector control and quarantine are priorities in any disease outbreak. Prophylactic antibiotics, contacting the relevant authorities and starting a public information campaign would also contribute to stopping the outbreak. If we did all of these, we would expect the next news bulletin to sound something like this. We return now once more to the scene where several weeks ago we reported on the mysterious illness that had affected several workmen and tragically claims the life of another. We are joined once more by Amy Stevens from the Health Protection Agency. Amy, can you tell us a little more about the strategy and measures you used to stop this disease in its tracks? As you saw three weeks ago, we were extensively surveying the site, taking scientific samples to be analysed back in our laboratories, working with a team of disease specialists from the Natural History Museum. Following extensive analysis, we were able to identify that the bacteria was um, Yersinia pestis, also better known as the plague. Thankfully today, this is a disease that is easily and effectively treated with antibiotics. Infected individuals from the area and from the work site were quarantined and treated 
treated and were kept under careful surveillance until tests showed that they were clear of infection. And what are the risks of this disease recurring again? At this very moment in time, we are still keeping very close monitoring of this site, taking regular daily samples and seeing how the infection levels are. It is now completely absent from the site. We consider it to be successfully contained. I have to say thank you to all of the local residents who are really supportive during this period. That's great news. Thank you, Amy. This is Charlotte Coles reporting from central London. If you thought of the same ways to control the disease, then give yourself a pat on the back. London would be safe in your hands. Many thanks to the team from Nature Live at the Natural History Museum for putting together the outbreak scenario. You can find out more about them by visiting the Natural History Museum's website at www.nhm.ac.uk and clicking on Nature Online. That's all for this Pathology Week podcast. Do check out the rest of the series to hear about pathology success stories in treating leukaemia and MS, the risks and benefits of home medical self-testing, and for an opportunity to go through the process of an autopsy. You can find out more about National Pathology Week online at nationalpathologyweek.org, and you can visit the Royal College of Pathologists online at rcpath.org. I'm Ben Fausler from thenakedscientist.com. Thanks for listening. Thank you.